um, I was traveling home one evening from my office. I heard a story on the news about this little dolphin had lost her tail. I've taken myself, you know, we put arms and legs on people. Why not put a tail on a dolphin? I want to be my current self from this point forward. I want to learn how to play piano. Working with human beings. Drinking wine in the middle of the day. I want to be a Truck driver. I'm going to be the next greatest painter. Just kind of work with kids, getting them ahead in life. I want to be a welder. I want to be a beach bum. I want to be a baseball player. Brewmaster. A winemaker. Professional snuggler. Let me mention those sweet, hot lavender baths and writing in the evening. What's up, everybody? This is Blake Fletcher, the Half Hour Intern. In today's episode, I interview Kevin Carroll, who is a prosthetist, which is the person that makes and places prosthetic limbs on people. And Kevin does not do this on just people, but he also does this on marine life as well, which is why Kevin is pretty famous in the area. He's also very brilliant and developed a new bone joint socket system himself. Um, and he's really well known in that world and that community. But he became really internationally known when he made a prosthetic tail for a dolphin named Winter. And later a movie was made about that called Dolphin Tail. And he's been therefore interviewed on shows like Dateline and 2020 um, and Good Morning America. And he's a pretty famous famous guy and he's so nice and so awesome and he does such amazing work for people making prosthetics for them and now volunteers his time to help marine life as well um like you'll hear in the episode he works with little turtles and makes little prosthetic turtle flippers which is just the cutest darn thing in the world um without further ado here is prosthetist kevin thanks so much for coming on the show uh, good morning, and thank you for having us on here. Yeah, absolutely. I am so happy to get to listen to your pleasing accent for the next hour or so. Um, so why don't we start out with just the most basic of what exactly is a is it is prosthetist with a prosthetist? Would that be the proper way to pronounce it? Yeah, we typically call it prosthetist. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what exactly is a prosthetist and orthotist, I guess, usually goes with that? Yeah, yeah. We, um, we design prosthetic and orthotic devices for people with uh, physical challenges, you know, loss of a limb, and maybe somebody with a paralyzed limb. Um, my own role really is purely prosthetics, um, building prosthetics for people and an occasional animal that might come along. Okay. And what, for people that don't know, what's the difference between a prosthetic device and an orthotic device yeah so a prosthetic device would be miss or replacing the missing body part so maybe a leg an arm a finger a toe um where an orthotic device is typically where you would be bracing a limb that um is paralyzed you know, so you'd often see somebody walking with a, a foot drop on the street and we as orthodists we can correct that foot drop by applying an orthotic device Okay, and of course, orthotics has become a lot more sophisticated in recent years with uh, microprocessors and uh, materials that we get to use. So, some very exciting things happening in the orthotic world. So, things that are actually using computers to kind of assist the person more. Exactly, you know, for getting up out of a chair. You know, where before it was locks, the patient would stand up, and the prosthetic or the orthotic device would lock. Where now today we can have a microprocessor that'll give them an assist out of the the chair, and as they're walking, the same microprocessor will control that knee as they're walking. So it's just amazing to see it. 
Wow, that's cool. What a great time for you to have lived throughout this whole process and had this as your forte, you know, to get to see all these changes. I really want to talk a lot more about the computer stuff later, uh, but for right now, so it, with, it, I guess, would a basic form of an orthotic device be considered like a cast on someone's leg or like a, a neck brace or something, or is that not even in the category of orthotics? Well, you know, there'd be more off-the-shelf stuff, the uh, neck braces, where we as trained clinicians, we will actually, you know, take casts of a person's body or scan a person's body and custom uh, make and fit an orthotic device for the individual. Okay. Uh, so it's very detailed. So it, does every single person get a custom piece? Like, is that is that kind of why they're coming to you? Because they need some sort of custom um, portion to that? Yeah, the people that come to us are, are typically somebody that needs that custom device. I was at a clinic yesterday, and I was not treating the patients, but there was a lot of young kids in there needing scoliosis treatment. And our artist was fitting some very exciting uh, scoliosis kind of body jackets. Um, and when I say exciting, you know, the, the gone are the days of this very boring-looking orthotic device that the kids would be scared of, where today, very, very exciting-looking uh, body jackets that these kids can wear and uh, sleep in and, um, you know, be able to function That's all day great. long. So it is just amazing stuff. Yeah. Uh, how much schooling do you have to go through to be able to do, uh, to become a, a prosthetic? I'm, I'm never going to pronounce it right, but to, but to become a prosthetist, how much uh, school do you have to go to? Well, what we look at is, you know, prosthetics and orthotics. Um, it's pretty much, uh, you do your bachelor's degree, um, which would be all healthcare related subjects, um, like anatomy, physiology, uh, understanding of medicine, surgery, psychology, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then into, you know, pure, yeah, orthotics and prosthetic studies for another two years. And then after that, um, you have a year of a residency in both disciplines. We so have a year of a residency in orthotics, a year of a residency in prosthetics. So about six years total, you know, six, seven years, you know, it takes a bit of time to get through that. Interesting. So in, in what sort of, I'm sorry, what, what sort of bachelor's would you be doing? Like a, like a pre-med or? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of pre-med you know, people would come in, you know, initially to go into thinking that they want to be a, a surgeon and halfway through and say, well, I really don't want to do that, but I'd like the idea of getting a prosthetic and orthotic uh, certification. Also what I'm noticing today, we're seeing a lot more bioengineers coming into the field that have already have a, a bachelor's in biomedical engineering and then they'll move on over into uh, doing their master's degree in prosthetics and orthotics. Mm, that's awesome. Um, so then they can do a lot more on the research and development side. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I love working with it. We had a meeting two weeks ago, um, actually out in Las Vegas, where a lot of us got together. And that was my question to our brain trust. You know, so many engineers do we have in the group? And you know, probably 10 hands went up. And you know, so I then would look at, you know, people with more of a medical type background um, and bring it all together and brainstorm, you know, what is the next prosthetic device going to look like? What's the next orthotic device going to look like? And, you know, kind of predict our own future. And to have that kind of a brain power is just incredible. That's awesome. What were some of the ideas that were thrown up? Like what, what are what are some of the things you guys are thinking about that will be happening in the next few years? 
Um, actually, in that same room, we had consumers, users of prosthetics. So there was one young man that um, he's missing both of his legs above the knee, both of his arms above the elbow, and he does incredibly well. This young guy, um, he's very new to prosthetics, um, and already we have him where he's totally independent, no longer owns a wheelchair, so he doesn't use a wheelchair anymore. He can drive his car. He could drive your car, my car. He doesn't, you know, he does not need hand controls to drive. Um, but he was talking about utilizing the technologies, like his smartphone. What could he do with his smartphone to communicate directly with the prosthetics? Yeah. Um, how to uh, adjust the comfort of the prosthesis just on his smartphone? Um, how to, you know, advance the dynamics of his prosthetic knee joint? again through his uh, smartphone uh, and you know some of that technology we're already utilizing um, but we believe that there's a lot more that can be done in that area and we're very excited about the potential yeah absolutely yeah I'm, I'm up here in san francisco and there's just so many different app companies working on you know all different kinds of stuff it'd be great to see them get get more involved with some of the the bigger medical companies and you know i'm sure that that's already happening i um several years ago i worked for a, a diabetic pump company um that sold insulin pumps and uh yeah that was like the number one request from patients even back in like 2008 2009 was was patients wanting to be able to to control their insulin pump with their iphone you know, I mean, it, it makes sense. They have they have these things on them all the time that they would want to use them um, to for for medical reasons. In a new healthcare environment where we're looking at evidence based practice, you know, the Affordable Care Act. Mm-hmm. Um, so the payers are looking for you know proof that the patients are getting value and the payer is getting value for for their money. And these are ways of measuring um, how well our patients are doing. So it's a whole new area of healthcare that um, is being explored and already uh, very much well on the way. So exciting times. Yeah, that's such a good point. I I, I didn't even really think about that. So uh, just for the listeners, so they know a little bit more about that with, with Medicare and then obviously all the other insurances are going to be following suit. There's very much going to be this paper. It, well, it's already started, but it's going to continue more and more. This pay for performance, so that will be for physicians. Physicians will be getting um, paid more money by Medicare, or a, a greater percentage of what they're owed by Medicare, depending on um, you know how well their patients are doing and what their patient satisfaction scores are and stuff like that. Hospitals will be getting the same thing, um, and it just goes on and on for you know the devices, the drugs, like everything needs to actually perform um and like you said having being able to put i guess sensors and things and having something like an iphone just completely track how that prosthetic device is working is is going to be a huge thing for for the government and other insurance companies going forward exactly um and, and this is something that's been in the making for a long time um but with the affordable care act it really has become very very prevalent in the last 18 months you can imagine where it's going to go in the next 18 months. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So as a, uh, as a prosthetist, do you put the device on the patients or do you have to create the device and then what, like an orthopedic surgeon or somebody would have to put the device on the patient? Um, 
We fit the patient with the prosthetic device. So um, the patient will come to us after the surgery. Um, I suppose for the listeners to know, you know who loses limbs, um, the most prevalent loss of limb here in the US is diabetes. That's the cause of limb loss here. Um, and next then, of course, would be vascular disease. And then you would have accidents. But most people that you will see utilizing the prosthesis is using the prosthesis due to the loss of limb to diabetic situation. Um, and it's was, you know, realistically, that's an area of concern that, you know, we need to work on to try to help people with diabetes, help people reduce the incidence of diabetes. And that would obviously reduce the number of patients that I would get to see every day. But I'd love that to happen because yeah. it's an awful disease. Yeah. Um, so typically because of that, most of the patients that we see, they're older, um, and with our older adult population, mobility is very, very critical. Uh, so we have to design prosthetic systems that are comfortable because with a diabetic, uh, person, their skin is not the strongest. It's very easy to get breakdown of skin and also the, the sensitivity of the skin. Uh, they can't feel. So we as clinicians, we have to anticipate that by designing sockets that are not alone comfortable, but also safe for the user to use. So we as clinicians, that's what we do. We design sockets, we fit the patient with the prosthesis, um, align the prosthesis, determine what's the best prosthetic knee joint for them, what's the best prosthetic foot joint for them, and uh, then working closely with physical therapists, occupational therapists, um, rehabilitation physicians, um, you know, we come up with just an amazing outcome. Just, I was just saying to somebody yesterday, as you were watching somebody coming into the clinic, is this person wearing a prosthetic leg or not? Or is he here for something else? Or is he here just to pick somebody up? Um, so we've come a long, long ways. That's incredible. You're saying because of kind of how natural their gait is and the way that they carry themselves now, it, it, you can't even tell. Yeah, yeah, and you know, the ankle system, hydraulic ankles, microprocessor ankles, um, just so natural to see somebody walk. And for that matter, run, do a marathon or do an Ironman. Just incredible what's going on. That's amazing. So you're, you're saying that they'll, they'll be taken to surgery, The uh, like an orthopedic surgeon will put like the joint in place for, let's say, like the knee or the ankle or whatever it is. And then that will kind of be like covered up, I guess, let that area heal or whatever. And then you have the actual prosthetic device that the patient's going to come see you and you connect the, the, the rest of the limb to that joint that was in place. Okay. Now keep that thought for a second, because we're going to come right back to that here in a minute. <laughs> uh, right, right now, what happens or you know, almost actually here in the U S a hundred percent of the time, the limb is amputated. Um, the tissue is, you know, the, the mus muscles are sutured to the bone and the skin is sutured to itself. And you have a nice, clean looking, freshly amputated limb. And the prosthetist then casts that limb and then crafts a socket to go over that limb. And that's what the patient walks on. But to go where you were going, uh, that's called osseointegration, where the prosthetic device is connected directly to the person's body. So when you look at that, 
surgeon would pick a, a patient that would be a good candidate for osteointegration. Or I just mentioned most of our patients lose their limbs due to diabetes and vascular disease. That particular population probably is not a candidate for osteointegration because of the risk of infection and, and issues like that. Where would a traumatic individual for the loser leg in a car accident, um, typically their bone is in good condition. So there is an opportunity and a potential for direct attachment of the prosthesis, especially above the knee. If you're doing the osteointegration, what are the benefits to that for the patient? The benefit for, to the patient would be that the prosthesis is directly attached to the body. So with a prosthetic socket system, the socket is attached over the skin. Um, and again, we feel as clinicians, we do a great job when we fit a socket to these patients. But, you know, if the prosthesis is connected directly to the body, the patient will tell us that, that it's actually utilizing a, a system like that. will tell us that the, uh, the socket feels a lot more comfortable to them. I'm sorry, the, the, the prosthesis feels more comfortable, more uh, controllable because it's they're, they're directly attached to their body. Um, when they're taking a step, they'll really feel it on the floor. If they barely move, the entire prosthesis moves with them. Wow, um, yeah, that makes so much sense. I, I, yeah, you, you talking about... Um the uh what what's the is the the femur your thigh bone exactly yeah yeah that I, still obviously the brain is connected to the femur so if if your prosthesis is like drilled into your femur when you go to take a step your the femur is going to send the signal for the weight to your brain and like i don't know i guess that's just got to be a much more uh natural sensation than uh than having it disconnected yeah yeah it's, and it's you know, as a person is walking up and down inclines, up and down stairs, you know, they can feel everything right through the prosthesis, right up into their limb. So it's an amazing connection. Interesting. So in, with the with the regular socket right now, the, the socket part is what, like drilled onto the bones or like glued on top of the skin? How does the how does the joint stay there? With the, the socket systems that we use today, it's held on with vacuum or suction, um, or we use gel materials. So when we roll up a gel material onto the person's limb, the gel has a lot of tackiness to it, so it locks onto the person's residuum. Um, and oftentimes we'll use a vacuum over that gel material. Uh, so the vacuum really gives it great um, you know, comfort and it solidifies the limbs, which gives them good control over the prosthetic device. I can't believe that that's it. Uh, are you like? Do, does that connection ever fail? Like, like, can it can it fall off? Well, any any of these connections can fail. You know, the direct attachment, you know, the osteointegration can fail. Our systems, where um, we're holding on with vacuum, can fail. Something can, you know, just like your own natural leg can fail. You trip over something, you break your leg. Things can fail. Um, but you know we have have a great history of success with them. Yeah, that's so uh, that's so interesting. That's awesome. I would have never thought that. What are uh, what are some of the common materials that are used right now to make prosthetics? Um, the materials, you know, we use a lot of composites. Obviously, carbon composite is a big one because of the dynamics of the material. Um, it also has the ability to store energy. 
So if the person is running under processes, the composites allows that energy that's put into that foot or pylon system to be stored. And the person is, you know, in what we call stance phase when they're standing under processes and just before they kick it off into, into what we call swing phase, um, that really allows for great you know, dynamics as a person is running. Um, so they're not losing energy on every step. Um, other materials would be silicon, uretins, um, the uh, you know, gel materials that we're using that are very elastic. Um, and then, of course, the computers that we're using, especially for older adult population. You could imagine the potential that an older person would have of falling. But if you have a computerized knee joint, it greatly reduces the potential of that fall because of these very, very uh, smart limbs that were put on patients today. Man, no kidding. And and also, and I'm, I'm sure you've thought of this as well, like that. It, so first, the the programmers, whoever, you know, whoever is um, making these these microchips and stuff like that to go in these devices, it's like they could set up an algorithm for how people walk, you know, and how this thing should respond. But in today's world as well of big data and something like a smartphone and sensors, like just continuing to continuing to collect data, collect data, collect data, you know, after a year or something of having thousands of elderly people walk on these devices, they could probably they could probably just keep on recalibrating it, you know, to say like, all right, this is most likely the way that this person is going to step right now. Here's what we need to do to make sure that they don't fall um, or whatever it is. It, it, yeah, that's it, it's amazing. Yeah, and as we get these microprocessor needs, you know, to continue to to evolve all the time, and oftentimes the patient will say, well, you know. I want to wait for the next generation. Just like, again, I want to wait for the next smartphone to come. But how long are you going to wait? Because it continues to evolve every time you get a new one. It's like, wow, it's amazing. But with some of these smarter prosthetic devices, we, um, we would send that knee back into the manufacturer to be refurbished after a couple of years. And it will come back to us with the latest updates the latest you know, software updates and just like getting a whole new leg all over again. Um, so it's just phenomenal to see these patients where they can take their lives utilizing the technology that does the thinking for them, that they don't have to be thinking of every step or watching it out there. Am I going to fall today? Um, so we're very, very, um, enthused about the future of, of these technologies yeah definitely so how much time does it take for you to make a prosthetic for a patient when we're building prosthetics for people every patient is different as i had mentioned earlier about our young man who'd lost both arms above the elbows both legs above the knees it's not so much making the prosthetics it's the rehabilitation process. How long does it take to go through the rehab process? Um, most people, when we see them initially, we get them into a therapy program, working closely with occupational therapists, physical therapists, trying to build their strength back up. Um, but once they have their strength up, we can fit them with a socket. Literally, within days, we can have a socket on them. We can have a prosthetic device on them, get the prosthesis aligned, and get them back out to the rehab center for 
further rehabilitation. But it takes it takes the best part of six weeks of rehab to get, you know, I don't like to use the word average, but realistically, most patients after about six weeks are up doing pretty well. And some of your listeners here that may be using the prosthetic device say, well, it's after taking me a lot longer. Each individual is different, depends on the event, you know, what was the cause of the amputation. If it was a major traumatic event, um, or like this young man I'm talking about with meningeal cockle meningitis, um, you can imagine the person's skin it may not be the strongest. So it takes some time for the skin to recover, but everybody is different. Um, but as I had mentioned earlier, our diabetic population, most of those individuals, we get them up very, very quickly. So six to eight weeks after amputation, they're back up and doing pretty well. And you'd be amazed, like just absolutely amazed. And again, part of that is because the technology has come so far. Mm, yeah. You you mentioned just now the amount of time for a like an above elbow amputation or an above knee amputation. So from my previous experience in the medical world, like that would be a huge thing for orthopedic surgeons would be like, can we do this amputation below the knee? And you would always want it to be below the knee, obviously, if you could. Uh, but sometimes they would have to go above the knee on your end as a prosthetist. What? Like, what is the difference in what you can do and what this patient is going to be able to do afterwards if it was an above knee, uh, I'm sorry, an above knee or below knee and an above elbow or below elbow? Um, obviously, we prefer to have the patient's own natural joint. It makes a huge difference. Um, if you lose your leg below the knee, you still have that natural knee to flex and extend that lower part of your leg. And it's just incredible to see how a person can walk and run and jump once the leg goes above the knee your leg is gone your leg is gone at that stage um so again we're fortunate that we have some really sophisticated prosthetic knee joints that allows our patients to be very very successful with an above the knee amputation but the surgeons really do a great job in trying to preserve as much as possible they have a hard job and they're obviously with a person with diabetes, vascular disease, and the limb is, you know, you know, gone into gangrene and have to take the leg off. They have to get a clean margin. They can't leave any infection in there. Um, but they do an incredible job trying to keep as much as possible. So they know the importance of keeping as much tissue as possible. Okay, like if I, uh, I'm just looking at my hand right now and thinking about this. So if I, if I lost my hand and I got a, a prosthetic hand, I would imagine that those, that like the digits, that the fingers on that prosthetic hand would basically, you know, it, it would obviously have some sort of computing system and that those, the digits would kind of be connected to, I guess, are those tendons inside your forearm that like when you move a finger, you can kind of feel it pulsing? Um, exactly. Yeah. And we, we place electrodes over, you know, whatever is left on that person's body. We'll find, we look for the signal, what's sending off the best signal. And that's where we will apply them. Okay. Now, if, if, if I am amputated all the way up my arm and I get a, a fake arm with a fake hand, can that hand now have digits that open and close or most likely not because there's no tendons for those digits to grab onto? So what we will do is we will apply the electrodes 
up in the shoulder area. And a person will very quickly learn how to fire the proper muscle in order to open the hand or close the hand or turn the hand. So there could be, you know, eight different sites up there that will have uh, these electrodes picking up the signals that will control the elbow, the wrist joint, and the hand. That is so incredible. So to what extent are these, uh, are they, is anything connected to the brain like directly or is it just, you know, connected into other tissues that are obviously then being signaled from the brain? Uh, there's work being done on that. There's uh, surgeons out there that's um, doing uh, surgeries where they connect directly to the uh, nerve or, or move a nerve in order to make it more uh, functional to control a prosthetic hand. Um, that would be out of my area of expertise. We will go for the external um, sites where the surgeon will oftentimes go for the internal sites and reorganize. But again, in conjunction with a prosthetist and what's the most appropriate sites to uh, position these um, electrodes. Um, and as you can imagine, it, this is evolving and evolving very, very quickly. Just very, very exciting. It's it's so it, it, yeah. It's just so incredible to talk about and to think about. Earlier on in my uh, in my last career, I had the opportunity to meet one of the physicians that pioneered um, uh, microvascular surgery. So like sewing um, your microvasculature together to be able to allow um, uh, like limb reconnection and stuff like that. And uh, it was so interesting hearing him talk about like the development of that process. And I, I imagine that we can't be too far away from uh, like, quote unquote, like microvascular surgery, like you said, on, on a nerve end um, with these prosthetics and just what that would do. It, it would just be incredible. So what has the evolution and popularity of 3D printing in the last 10 years or so done for prosthetics? Um, I think with 3D printing, um, it allows us to get prototypes very, very quickly. And, you know, prototyping is always very, very important, um, but especially in prosthetics where everything is so customized, like everything we do is customized to the patient. So we can get rapid prototypes utilizing a 3D printed um, image and, and assuring that we have the proper um, device for our patient. Uh, I, I meant to ask you this earlier, and I completely forgot. What made you choose um, being a prosthetist as opposed to something else? Um, I grew up in, as you can tell by my accent, um, not in Texas, but in Ireland. <laughs> um, our corporate office is in Texas, and people say, God, you have a very funny accent for Austin, Texas. <laughs> but yes, uh, actually Ireland. Um, but alongside the hospital, that's where I grew up. And the hospital was taking care of physically and intellectually challenged children. My mom was a big um, supporter and fundraiser. And just she had us there all the time helping out and doing stuff. That got me interested in especially the rehabilitation of kids. Um, and, you know, I got very uh, excited about, you know, all aspects of the rehab, so whether wheelchairs, uh, braces, you know, at that time, that's what we would call the orthotic devices, and of course, prosthetics. And then when I got into the into the field, and really prosthetics intrigued me, and that's where I've put most of my career. What is it like working with the people, which is everyone that you work with, who's like working with patients whose lives are 
permanently changed in like trying to always maintain your bedside manner? My my friend that I've been telling you about with this missing all four limbs, his name is Pedro. Um, he got meningococcal meningitis when he was um, 19 years old. He um, came very close to losing his life. Um, so you can imagine how devastated his family were when this happened. Um, they're actually from Brazil. And, you know, they would have went to any corner of the world to get their child back up and moving again. Um, but it, before we ever started on prosthetics, it was all about compassion and caring for not just Pedro, but also his mom, his dad, his brothers, his entire family, and realizing that there's an extended family behind all of this. And then over a period of time, working with him, caring for him, and if he needed to stay at my house, absolutely, that's what it, it, it came down to. Um, they become family members. And as a result, you know, this kid is up walking, driving, living life to the fullest again. Um, but it does come down to compassion. I think it's critical. I love it. I, I love hearing you talk about it. It's beautiful. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. So uh, let's let's quickly, if we can, go over the story of Winter the Dolphin, since that's kind of how you were referred my way. So you did the tale for what... So the episode, if everyone's listened to it, um, that Dr. Julie was on, where she rescued Winter the Dolphin, and it was a dolphin that... Uh, that had what was caught up in some fishing line and they ended up having to amputate the dolphin's tail. And you were the person that made the prosthetic dolphin tail. It's so incredible. Um, I was traveling home one evening from my office. I heard a story on the news about this little dolphin had lost her tail. I was thinking to myself, you know, we put arms and legs on people. Why not put a tail on a dolphin? And, uh, you know, the rest is history, as I say, but, but it's not. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort to come up with something that had not been done before. And it takes a good team and a team of open-minded and like-minded individuals. So I reached out to my colleague, Dan Trimpke in Sarasota, Florida, who's a very you know, brilliant clinician, brilliant mind, brilliant um, designer. And I said, Dan, you know, you're, you're not going to know, believe what I've just got you and I into. And uh, proceeded, to, <laughs> proceeded to tell him. And, you know, we joined forces and, you know, really did come up with a great solution for this little dolphin. Um, and as you can imagine, you know, it did hit the news and hit the news a lot bigger and stronger than, than uh, we thought it was going to hit. But there was some negativity about, you know, why is Kevin Carroll, why is Dan Trimke building a tail for a dolphin when there's so many people out there needs help? Um, and, you know, we kind of put that aside and said all right you know maybe maybe there's some truth to that there is a lot of people that needs help but at the at the weekends there's some people who goes and play golf my weekends i wanted to go and hang out with a dolphin you know and um, maybe help a dolphin so we continued to work with the dolphin and built um, the prosthetic devices and came up with gel material to protect the dolphin's skin and very quickly people were calling, looking for the same gel that the dolphin was using to protect their skin. And one little girl in particular from the, the western part of the United States reached out to us who could not walk on her prosthetics. And she said, I, I really want this dolphin's uh, protective device uh, material. Um, 
So we had not had it on a human. So we asked um, Dan Strimke again, who's an amputee. He said, Dan, you're going to have to test this material. And then in actual fact, the funny story there will be that even before we put it on the dolphin, we tested it on Dan. You often hear about animal testing of, of medical <laughs> devices. This is a complete, complete reversal of that. So um, we wound up um, fitting the little girl with the, the gel material and because of that, she's walking today. And today, literally thousands of people across the world walking on winter's gel, the dolphin's gel material. So those naysayers of all those years back, they were saying, why were we wasting our time? Well, you know, realistically, we now have a very protective material for humans. We also have a dolphin who has inspired the world. And not just, you know, uh, people with physical challenges, but with everybody. People go and listen to Winter's story and go and see Winter or see her on television. They're very much inspired by her. Um, she has brought so much, for whether it's children that have just lost a limb or a child that maybe has lost a limb to cancer and go and hang out with Winter for a day. Um, it gives them great sense of, of, of comfort. Um, so we're very, um, we are more than delighted that we have helped Winter and continue to help her. That's so cool, Kevin. And I can't believe that, well, I mean, I, unfortunately, I can't believe that there were any sort of naysayers and, and people that were, were hating on you like that. I, I would have to assume that those people that were hating on you have not devoted their entire lives to helping other people like you have. So it's just crazy that anyone could have anything negative to say about you trying to help a dolphin out. Yeah, but maybe sometimes we need little reality checks too. Um... And, and you have to ask yourself, are you doing it for the right reasons? Um, and, you know, when it comes to aquariums and, and this particular aquarium, Clearwater Marine Aquarium in, in Clearwater, Florida, it's an aquarium that takes in injured sea life, whether it's a turtle. Like I go down there and there could be 200 turtles that are after bringing in and nurse them back to health, get them back out into the ocean and away to go again. Or a dolphin that was beached and got burnt on the, because it's on the beach and the sun beaching the burning it up to get him back in, get the skin back in healthy condition. And away goes the dolphin again, back into the ocean. Um, but you know, there's you know, a lot of, a lot of, you know, talk and often sometimes negative about it. But, um, I think that particular aquarium does an amazing job with, with helping these animals. And, uh, you know, and it's important as, as people that we help our, our wildlife out there. It's critical. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I just had the best part of the entire interview just hearing you say turtle. That That's like the greatest thing I've ever heard in my entire life, that your accent saying turtle is absolutely wonderful. <laughs> yeah, but we've actually fit little um, prosthetics on turtles as well, and we, we love doing it. It's, they're, they're beautiful little creatures. Love that's, them. That's so cool. What, like little fins or something? Little fins, yeah, yeah. How cool. Yeah. So, Kevin, let's go ahead and uh, wind this thing down for people by offering them some advice. So, someone has been listening to this and they think that you are amazing and they would like to follow in your footsteps. How would someone go about becoming a prosthetist? And, like, what I guess what pieces of advice around becoming a prosthetist would you give people? Um, I suppose to be empathetic, you know, like obviously you have to be empathetic when you go into the healthcare profession. Um, but be open-minded, um, you know, realistically, not to be the first person to speak in the room, but 
try to be the last person to speak in the room, listen to all the ideas that are going around, um, realizing that the youngest clinician in the room, somebody's fresh out of college, may be the one that has the particular answer that we're looking for for one particular case. Um, so I've, I've definitely learned how to be more open-minded. As I had mentioned earlier in our conversation about that brain trust we put together two weeks ago, to be able to get ideas flowing from very young clinicians. And what came out of that meeting, we, we put a team of four people together and one of the team members, um, her name is Bree, and she's probably maybe 24, 25 years old. And she came right out of that team of very experienced people to be on a very high level thinking team. Um, so be able to identify talents and future leaders, I think, is very, very critical. Um, so here's this lady, and we're, we're tapping into her creative thinking. And I think as an organization, that's what we have to do. And as, as a country, that's what we have to do. You know, capture the, the incredible intelligence of these young minds. And you'll hear people saying, oh, the young people of today, to me, I get to work with the young people every day, and I tell you, I'm, I've never been more excited than I am today. Uh, Kevin, you are the man. The, the world needs so many more people like you. I wish I was so much more like you. The healthcare industry needs more people like you. You have the right, the right mindset and attitude about everything. It's so beautiful. Awesome. Kevin, thank you so much for all your time. It's been such a pleasure talking with you. Thank you, and hopefully get on your show again sometime. Yeah, definitely. Take care. Thank you. Hey everyone, it's Blake. Hope you all enjoyed the episode. If you're sitting there thinking to yourself, I wonder how I could help Blake out. First of all, you are probably the nicest person in the entire world. Secondly, all you have to do is just tell a friend about the show. I would really appreciate it. If you're sitting there and thinking, man, my job is really interesting, or man, I do this totally badass hobby. I should totally be on this show. Then you totally should be on the show. Just reach out to me on halfhourintern.com, my website. You can email me through there. And uh, if there is another job or hobby that you don't do, but you just want to hear about it, you can submit any sort of idea through the Submit Your Ideas link on the page. Thanks again for listening. Take care.